Father, we thank you for this night. We're grateful that it's another day's journey. We're grateful, Father, that we are in the land of the living, and we're grateful that we're able to sit under this amazing band, be led by this amazing worship pastor, as he's taken us back to remind us that this life that we're living right now, in actuality, we are homeless, living in tents, because our real home is far away from here on God's celestial source. We're grateful that we just hold out just a few more days. These weary days, Father, will fly away. We're grateful, God, that you'll swing low with your sweet chariot. You'll come and take us for a ride on to heaven. And God, we know, Father God, that if we just trust in the Lord, if we just stay on the battlefield, that if we let our little light shine, if we keep having a little talk with Jesus, you tell him all about our troubles, that you are God enough to hear our cry. Because as long as there's a little prayer wheel turning, we know that the fire is still burning. And so, Father, on this night, I pray that you would set this place on fire. There could be someone that doesn't know you. As a matter of fact, Father, whenever we're in a setting like this, Father, we know there's someone that does not know you. And we pray, God, that they've, since they've been around men that do, that they are not ashamed to admit that they need you. Our job, Father, tonight is not to be CVS workers. Our job tonight is not to be Walgreens cashiers that just prescribes, Father God, Tylenol and aspirin to numb their pain. But our job tonight, Father, is to be those that stand at the hospital door to admit patients so they can see Dr. Jesus. God, we are tired of having church that just numbs the emotional pain. God, we want to get people into the, surgeon, the surgical room to see the doctor that can remove the sin so that they can deal with the pain of earth so they can get to heaven. So have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly of my iniquities and cleanse me of my sins, but create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a bright spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. And don't take your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Allow me to stand here and tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God, in Jesus' name. Clap your hands, everybody. Brothers, somebody shout amen. Amen. Man, to this um, I worship band, man, that, that messed me up, man. Dude, I, dude, that messed me up, bro. I mean, the last two, man. My grandmama would sing those songs, man. I was like, the Southern Baptist Church, man, in Stockton at Greater Faith Park, man, we would do songs. Grandmama would wake us up to those songs. Before you got up for church, that would be the songs we would hear. I'll Fly Away, man. That's, I think that's one of the highlights of every black funeral, I'll Fly Away, man. I ain't never heard a song in the service, but it's not a casket, man. I was, it's not a funeral song. That's actually a celebration song. <laughs> We're going to sing that on Sunday morning for praise and worship. That's going to be tight. <laughs> that, was, that was, man. I honor you, bro. I honor y'all. Y'all are incredible. Can y'all give that band? Man, man y'all are amazing, man. 
Man, I love you guys, brothers. I love you three, man. Y'all are y'all my brothers. Um, well, I have an assignment, and I don't like to mess around with that assignment. I want to do what God tells me to do and just see what the Lord does and takes it from there. So if you can, would you grab your Bibles and would you go to Matthew chapter 14? Your warrior's gear is clean, man. I like it. Our warrior's on this side and there's a Laker dude on this side. Yeah. I, I love you, dude, but I don't like you, okay? All right. Matter of fact, do me a favor. Can you sit by him, please? Can you, yeah, Niner, come on. Put your jacket on, bro, while I preach, man. Yeah, just cover that. Yeah, sit by him, sit by him. No, sit by him, sit by him, for real. Maybe, maybe your goodness will rub off and give him mercy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Um, the, <laughs> the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at the 14th chapter tonight, okay? Gospel according to Matthew. We'll look at the 14th chapter. And for the purpose of preaching, we'll consider verse number 22. Um, if you dare say amen. amen. If you're not saying I'm still looking. It's Matthew. I'm just joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But it is Matthew. If you're in Revelation, you're going a little bit too far. If you're in Exodus, you haven't gone far enough. All right? Matthew is on page (laughs) 1,116. Okay? All right. Are you there, bro? All right. Mm, All right. Let's do this. Uh, You said yours is what? 980. You got small letters, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody got real small. It's like, I'm on, it's on page two. Like, dang, your letters are small. <laughs> and then somebody else here, my, mine just on 7,415. So you got that large print that's about this big. All right, let's look at it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. All right, Matthew chapter 14, verse number 22. We try to be very familiar when it comes to scriptures and then try to break it down, break it down so God can give us these aha moments. Aha moments are what we like to call at St. Rest, what we saw in the text, but never saw in the text. Make sense? So we're hoping that God kind of brings that out a little bit. Look what it says, verse number 22. Little bros, watch this. A little boys to me in the front row. All right, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into a boat, get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, about the fourth watch, He was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was contrary, or some translations may say was against them, right? Verse number 25, and then Jesus came to them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. He says, have mercy or take charge, for I am here. Don't be afraid. And then Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me or command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And he climbed out the boat. Peter walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the waves and the wind, he was afraid. Really, translation just simply says, when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, this is the Son of God. My fascination is with the whole text. But specifically, I really like what it says in verse number 29 that B cross, and Peter climbed out the boat. Just for a brief few minutes tonight, I just want to teach from this idea. I want to teach from the idea, don't be scared. Not scared. Don't be scared. Not scared. Don't be scared. God, illuminate your word. Let us see it and let us hear it in Jesus' name. What's interesting really is that I come from a background of Bible teachers. My father is a preacher. My father's been preaching the gospel since I was probably about six years old. My grandfather on my mother's side was a pastor of a church. And what I've been told by my family is that there are pastors and preachers all in my family. My mother's biological father, from what I was told, walked with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There are photos of my grandfather and Dr. King side by side with pictures smiling arm in arm. My entire life I was raised in church. I was a drug baby. I was drugged to Sunday school. I was drugged to church on Mondays, <laughs> drugged to church on Tuesdays, drugged to Bible study Wednesdays, drugged to men's meeting on Thursdays, youth meeting on Fridays, then drugged back out to church for women's meeting on Saturday, and I'm a dude. And then we was in church all day Sunday. I was in church so much that my grandmother would instill into me the point of being at church was to have this thing called faith. I'll never forget my grandmother told me this story of this church in her little town where she was born in Oklahoma. And in this church, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt area where everybody around the town had a relationship or had a relationship, let me say this, with church, maybe not a relationship with God. And every single Sunday, everybody came to church. It was normal to come to church. So everything about the town was surrounded by church. Even so much that the best chicken spot in their town was called Church's Chicken. Uh. <laughs> Nothing? Okay. It was connected to church so that the women in the church had to date a man. Amen. Y'all are terrible. Y'all missed the joke, man. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Forget it. All right. Um, my grandmother told me this story and said that somewhere around 1950-something at this church, this Bible Belt area, there came before the council this ordinance where people would now be able to have open liquor stores and bars. And there was this individual who decided to build a liquor store slash bar right next to the most famous church in the city. My grandmother said that that particular church rounded the entire city up and said, we're going to pray that this, this bar never gets open because it's right next to the church. The town said, well, we need the finances to come in, the revenue, the residual income that comes from this bar will not only save the town, but actually make the town flourish even more. So the pastor of that church told the church for the next 30 days, we're going to pray that God stops the building of this liquor store. Well, brothers and brothers, unfortunately, the actual liquor store opened up. But the night of the liquor store opening up, there was a rainstorm 
in Oklahoma. Lightning and thunder sounded all across that town and that state. And lightning hit so hard that the lightning hit that liquor store slash bar and it burned the liquor store up. That next day, the pastor called all of the members to the church and they had a nice revival service that night to celebrate the fact that the liquor store had burned up. Well, they were celebrating so hard that they forgot to notice that in the back of the church was the sheriff and the sheriff was serving the pastor a subpoena because the liquor store owner had now sued the church because the liquor store owner said it was the church's fault that his liquor store burned up. When they went to court, the judge asked the pastor and his congregants, were you responsible for the liquor store burning up? The pastor said, we had nothing to do with it. That was a sheer act of nature. It was not us that burned the liquor store up, it was the lightning. The liquor store owner in his drunk stupor said, no, they're a lie. They prayed. They prayed so hard that the liquor store burned up. The pastor then jumped up and said, no, it's not our fault that the liquor store burned up. The liquor store owner said, it is your fault that the liquor store burned up. The judge banged his gavel and the judge said, wait, I've made a decision. My decision is that the liquor store owner has more faith than the pastor in the church. And tonight, my brothers, I would dare to suggest that we have too many scared people in church that will not admit and stand up with faith when things get rough, storms and lightning and thunder hit. Are you the individual that cowards, that stays on the boat? Are you someone that will be willing to take a stand even if you stand by yourself to suggest that if God be for us, who can be against us? That really is the premise, the thesis of this message, this idea that we're looking at in this pericope that we call the gospel according to Matthew and this chapter that we're looking at here. By the time we get to the 14th chapter, again, Jesus is very famous. If you notice the same kind of simile of the same kind of similarities that we're looking at is each, each time we stand up here, we look at Jesus occupying a boat and Jesus doing work on water. Similar to the connection of why each of you are here in your spare time, either you're on a boat or you're near water. Jesus has an amazing ministry that is connected to water. I mean, the reality is, is 14 of his 33 miracles are done near this body of water. And this particular miracle, this particular ministry that Jesus does on this faithful morning, this amazing, this amazing miracle of him walking on water, this miracle that many have dubbed the most powerful miracle that Jesus does to show his power is directly after when many individuals would suggest is his second most powerful miracle. For just earlier that day, Jesus takes his church to a high mountain and there on the mountain, he has dinner with his followers. He grabs a little boy that is wearing a 49er jacket. <laughs> After he asks the entire disciples, is there any food to feed them? He looks over and notices that a 49er lover has a lunch pail. And in that lunch pail, he has five biscuits and two catfish. And Jesus, with his power, notices that it's interesting 
that it's really not the fact that the boy is the only one with lunch, but really the power of the message is that the little boy is the only person that is willing to give his lunch to Jesus. I'll say it again, and hopefully y'all won't miss it. The power of the text, the connection, the exegesis of the text, it's not that the boy was the only person with lunch. It was that the little boy was the only person that had lunch willing to give to Jesus. And really, that's really something I ask in here. It's not that nobody in here but him has a gift. It's that he may be the only person in this room that is willing to allow Jesus to use his gift to bless others. Isn't it interesting that Jesus can use something that is small from something that is small, that is something that is insignificant from someone who people call insignificant because if he was so significant, then people would have knew who the boy's name was and his father and mother would have walked with the boy. But the boy leaves his mother and father to go to Jesus, similar to Jesus leaving his mother and father to go back to the father at 12 years old. Listen to me, brothers. On this night, I wonder how many brothers are willing to leave people that are not connected to Jesus to get close to Jesus so that Jesus can take their insignificant lunch and make significant meals for people that will not get close to him. And after feeding the 5,000, Jesus is so powerful that he now tells the disciples, take the remaining baskets and feed yourselves. Jesus says this, since everybody else ate, you'll have more than enough because the leftovers are actually more than what I served first. And at the conclusion, that's another sermon, at the conclusion of that miracle, the Bible says immediately, somebody say immediately. He decides to leave the crowd, but not just the crowd. He also decides to leave the disciples. Remember, just a few years ago, Jesus says, peace be still, because he needs to get away from people. But now Jesus understands that it's not just people that don't know me that get on my nerves. But sometimes people that know me get on my nerves. And brothers, I'm telling you, my boy say yeah. Brothers, I'm telling you, the longer you walk with Jesus, you're going to discover that it ain't just ain'ts that get on your nerves. There's some saints that get on your nerves too. Jesus in his absolute power says this, y'all. He says, check this out. Y'all go to the other side. I need to go up to the mountain and be with Jesus. And I want to know if there's any brothers in here that made that declaration just yesterday. They told their wives, some of you told your children, some of you even told your pastor or your pastor told their members, I got to get away from you because I need to go up to the mountain because in the mountain, there's no distractions. In the mountain, there's no cell phone service. In the mountain, I can't surf the net. In the mountain, I can't have a drink. In the mountain, all there is is me, the fish, the water, and Jesus. Is there anybody in here that can say, DJ, you right about it. Do me a favor and high five somebody and tell them it's something about being on the mountain that allows me to see Jesus in the full nature of his power and the glory of his holiness. Jesus says, I need to go to the mountain. But watch this, y'all. Jesus is on the mountain while he's by himself. The Bible says that his disciples are at the sea, but they're 
fighting a wave. Look, this is interesting though, because many people would say that this is the same kind of storm that they were in when Jesus was on the bottom of the boat, but it's not. When Jesus was on the bottom of the boat and he was sleeping, he said, peace be still, they were dealing with a windstorm. That word windstorm in the Greek is where we see the word huge or mega temptus. They're not dealing with a storm that is tempting. Scripture says they are dealing with a wind that is contrary, which means a wind that is pushing them in the opposite direction. I'm going to say it again. When Jesus is on the boat and his head is on the cushion as the captain, they're only dealing with temptation. But when Jesus is not on the boat and it's not the captain, the wind is pushing them in the opposite direction. I just preached to y'all missed it. When Jesus is on the boat, brothers, you will always deal with temptation. But as long as Jesus is the captain, you'll always be going in the right direction. But when Jesus is not on the boat for the moment, understand this, you won't have to deal with temptation as much as you will deal with people pushing you in the wrong direction. Distractions are not temptations when Jesus is not on the boat. When Jesus is not on the boat, you'll just have things pushing you in the wrong direction. And understand this, Jesus is on the mountaintop. Jesus, while in his own element praying and talking to God, is on the mountaintop. Wait, again, I'm going to give you something to shout about, but I need you to give me a premeditated shout so you can get me happy to tell you what you shouted about. I need you to shout right now, Jesus on the mountain. Matter of fact, I need you to shout one more time, Jesus was on the mountain. Watch this. Let me give you why I just told you to shout. They are at the sea. Jesus is on the mountain. I'll say it again. They are at the sea. Jesus is on the mountain. I'll say it one more time. They are 600 to 700 feet below sea level, but Jesus is on the mountain. Can I give you what I told you to shout about? As long as Jesus was on the mountain, he kept his eye on the disciples. The disciples were on the water. They were fighting a storm, but Jesus was on the mountain above the storm, making sure the storm didn't destroy the disciples. Brothers, please understand something. Even though Jesus may not be on the boat, even though you may not be able to see him, even though at times you may not be able to touch him, please do not fret and please do not give up because just because you can't see him does not mean he can't see you. Oh, that made me feel good. It made me feel good because there are times in my life where I can't see Jesus. There are times in my life where I can't look at him and I can't feel him. But brothers, the one thing I'm happy about is when I can't see Jesus, he can still see me. His eye is on the sparrow. Oh my goodness. 2020, let me give you an illustration. In 2020, I took my daughters and I took my wife to Disneyland right before COVID hit. I took my babies to Disneyland. My middle daughter got sick while we were at Disneyland. But my daughter just said I wanted to still go on every ride because she didn't want to mess up the event for my, for my family. My daughter, while coughing, my daughter, while looking weak, said, Daddy, I want to get on a roller coaster with you. By this time, Disneyland was about to close, and the attendant let my daughter and I get on the ride by ourselves. It's dark. There's no lights, but we get on the ride. 
When we get on the ride, we put the harness on. My daughter is sitting to my right. It's dark and I hear my daughter cry. My daughter is weeping and I said, baby, what's wrong? She said, daddy, I can't see you. I said, well, baby, it's dark and daddy's dark. That's a bad combination. <laughs> she said, but daddy, if you can just take your hand and put it on me. She said, if you put your hand on me, daddy, then I know you're there. When I took my hand and I put it on my daughter's leg, my daughter start cry stopped crying because even though my daughter couldn't see me, my daughter could still feel me. And brothers, in this chapel tonight, God is saying to a brother, I realize you can't see me. I realize you're at the darkest point in your life. And right before you quit and go in the wrong direction, I brought you to Hume Lake to remind you that even though you can't see me tonight on this Saturday night, you are about to feel me. You're about to feel the comfort of Jesus Christ that he promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at a brother and tell somebody, Jesus is still with you. Look, brothers, he's on the mountain. And while on that mountain, he can see his disciples. And the Bible says, on that fourth watch of the night, while their boat is being rocked and pushed into the opposite direction. Y'all, they see, they see somebody or they see something walking to them. Wait, that's a shouting moment. Because the scripture doesn't say that he saw something running to him or flying to him. No, scripture says, Jesus was walking. Wait, that's how we see Jesus throughout the entire scripture. There's only one other incident where he's not walking and that's when he's riding a donkey. But Jesus is not out of character because when he goes to the woman with the issue of blood, he's walking. <laughs> well, am I preaching to somebody in here? When he passes by blind Bartimaeus, he's walking. And when he goes to the cross, he's walking. Y'all, watch this. Jesus is showing us in the text that I'm not in a rush to get to you because you can't die until I get there, nor can you live while I'm still walking. The scripture is literally suggesting to us that Jesus is never in a hurry in order to come and get you because when Jesus shows up, he's always right on time. Watch this, brothers. Which the text would suggest to us that Jesus started walking from the mountain before they entered the storm. Because while Jesus was on the mountain, he could see the storm before they saw the storm. Am I preaching to somebody? Watch this, brothers. What the scripture is saying is even before you walk into your storms, Jesus already sees what you're about to walk into. Jesus left his mansion in heaven, walked down to earth, walked on earth because he knew that there was a storm that you would have to go through and he refused to let you go through it by yourself. The Bible says he comes walking. And when he's walking, they think it's a ghost. 
Now, many translations would suggest that they think it's a spirit, but that's not what the text is saying. The text is not saying that they think it's a spirit. They literally think that it must be an unsettled ghost that died at sea. They don't understand or notice Jesus' walk because it's dark. So understand what Jesus does. Jesus says, take courage, I am here. Jesus says something that the disciples would identify with. The disciples, many of them are seasoned Jews. So they understood Old Testament theology. When Jesus says, I am here, he is not saying, I am here. He is saying, I am is here. Give me some, give me some. That was bomb, dog. That was bomb. I'm going to say it again so y'all will catch it. Jesus is not saying, I am here. Jesus is saying, I am is here. Okay, y'all ain't caught it because y'all ain't saying that either you tired tonight or you ain't ready to shout because this right here is about to make me holler. Throw up both my hands. What Jesus does when he walks on the water, he never identifies himself as Jesus. No, when Jesus shows up, he identifies himself as God because in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when Moses was on the top of the mountain and he was standing in front of the burning bush and the burning bush told him to take off his sandals because where you're standing at is so holy that Jordan's or or Air Force Ones or Chuck Taylors cannot exist where the Spirit of God exists. And when Moses said, well, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? The Spirit of God through this burning bush said, you got to tell him I am that I am. Meaning I am whatever you need me to be at the moment. If you need water, I am. If you need bread, I am. If you need a comforter, I am. If you need a deliverer, I am. And when Jesus shows up walking on water, he understands that if he says I'm Jesus, they will not understand who is walking. When he shows up, he says, I am coming because I am the spirit of the living God. I am your comforter. I am your peace. I am your rock in the middle of the wilderness. I am your water when you're thirsty. I'm your presence when you need a comforter. I'm your mama when you're motherless. A father when you're fatherless. I'm a friend when you need a friend. I am. And tonight, my brothers, on this evening, Jesus is saying, I am. Whatever you need him to be, he says I am. If you need help, he says I am. If you need strength, he says I am. If you need a comforter, he says I am. If you need to be delivered from drugs, he said I'm a deliverer. If you need to be delivered from pornography, he said I am a deliverer. I need a brother to say I am. Say I am. Whatever you need him to be, he already is. He said, I am. You ain't got to look for nobody. I came looking for you. And I know some of you are looking and saying, DJ, why are you so emotional when you preach the gospel? Because if you knew me before I started preaching, I was emotional when I sinned. I gave my all when I dealt drugs. I gave my all when I got into bar fights. I gave my all on the football field. And I refused to give my all to Satan and not give my all to Jesus. So I don't care if you look at me 
and you judge me for me sweating and giving my all. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave his all. And when I preach the gospel, I'm going to give my all. And I want to know if there's any brothers that can say, DJ, if you give your all, I'm going to give my all. So let's go to work. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. I'm going to end this message. And I'm going to show you what happens when you give y'all. The scripture says, Jesus comes walking on water. Peter, that loud mouth cusser. Peter, that had a problem. You know he had a problem because only a person that ain't right will cut somebody's ear off. Peter carried a gat with him, had a 22 in his back pocket, and still went to church. That's why I love brothers that come to St. Rest packing. <laughs> you wanna know how I know that Jesus would have approved of somebody packing? Is when Peter cut off the man's ear, Jesus said, put your sword away. He didn't say, throw it away. <laughs> he said, put your sword away because you're gonna need it for another day. I'll just preach to y'all ain't said nothing. Watch, Peter says this, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Bro, stand up real quick. He sees him, stand in the middle aisle. He says, if it's you, bid me to come. Can I give you something to shout about real quick? He can't see him, but he hears him. Wait, you missed it. Can I give you scripture? Because my sheep know my voice. So I can't see you, but dog, I can hear you. And the devil can't imitate Jesus's voice. Why? Right. Because whenever you know the Lord's voice, you got to be like ludicrous. You got to move when he moves just like that. And he sees Jesus moving and he says, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. So he looks around at his brothers and he notices ain't nobody moving. So Peter says, if I stay on this boat, we gonna die. If I try to row back to land, we gonna die. But if I get out the boat, I might die. Die, die, might die. And brothers, sometimes the decision to follow Jesus ain't that hard. <laughs> what you're currently standing in is sinking. Where you just came from will kill you. So you have a choice. Either you step out of pornography, step out of drugs, step out of alcohol, and try to follow him or die in what you're standing in. But brothers, understand something. The one key to whether or not you'll survive is if everybody else will stay in what you're trying to get out of, that means you should get out of it. Because the road to Jesus is narrow, but the road to hell is wide open. Peter says, if y'all don't wanna go, I'm gonna go. Can I just give it to you Southwest Fresno version? Bump y'all. If y'all wanna die, you can die. But today, 
I'm getting out of what I've been in that is killing me. Is there any brother in here that can say tonight, I'm tired of being in a boat with dead people. I'm ready to try to walk out the boat and see if I can follow somebody that won't sink. So he hops out. And when he hops out, he's walking on water. But wait, no he ain't. Bad theology. Because if he's walking on water, that means he's as powerful as Jesus. Oh, suck it, suck it now. He's not walking on water. Y'all ready for this? He's walking because Jesus says, come. He's not walking on water. He's walking on his word. I'm going to say it again. It ain't no power that Peter has. The power is Jesus' word. And whenever you step out on his word, you are walking by faith and not by sight. When you're walking on his word, you're walking because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Ooh, baby, you ain't walking on water. You're walking on his word. Is there any brother in here that can say, I'm grateful that I ain't walking on water because it's more powerful to walk on his word than to walk on water. What does his word tell us? His word tells us he'll never leave you nor forsake you. His word tells us that weeping only endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. His word tells us that your cup will overflow. His word tells us no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. His word tells us there is no temptation that he has not already given you an escape out of. His word tells you that he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. I need somebody to say I'm walking on his word. Got a wrap. Shirt is drenched. It don't even say Google no more. It just says Google. Bible says he he's walking. Watch this, little bros. As he's walking, he starts noticing the wind. The wind that was contrary, the wind that was pushing him in another direction, it starts to blow. Who? wait, that says something because there's a lot of preachers, and I hope ain't none of them in here, that will tell you there's something wrong with you if while in your walk, you start sinking. Can I tell you something? There's only one perfect human being, and his name is Jesus. This scripture about Peter and sinking in water is not a scripture of disappointment, it's a scripture of encouragement. Because while Peter is walking on his word, he starts noticing the elements, the distractions that are around him. Which means distractions will still come even when Jesus is right in front of you. Somebody just say, mm. Matter of fact, just give your neighbor a fist bump and say, boy, that boy preaching. Look, man. 
You can be following Jesus all you want to. That does not mean the enemy won't ease up with distractions. You can be in church focused on his word and a beautiful woman will walk by in church service. Oh, well that was too touchy, I apologize. Let me back up and go a little, a little easier. You can be asking for a root beer float and they give you a beer. You bet not say yep. <laughs> Whose kid is you, man? Boy, drinking Miller Lite already, bro. Like, no. <laughs> Distractions will still come. The moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, the distractions will cause you to sink in what you should be walking over. <sighs> At one point, you had power to walk over it. But when you take your eyes off of the word, you now start to sink in what you had power over. Break it down. You used to can get on the internet with no problem. Now when you get on, you look, turn the lights off, and make sure the wife ain't nowhere in the room. Used to fast forward through the sex scenes, but now that which you had power over now has power over you. You used to could preach in a bar. Now you can't go in it because if you walked in it, you'll be tempted to drink the blood and not the blood of Jesus. That which you had power over now has power over you. And the Bible says that Peter started to sink. But can I give you a shout? Even in the midst of Peter taking his eyes off of Jesus, Jesus still never took his eyes off of Peter. Because the Bible says that all Peter had to do was say, Lord, help me. And Jesus reached down and picked Peter up. Wait, that's another shout. Because the scripture says that Jesus reached down in what Peter had sunk in and got him out of it. Oh my gosh, man. Bros, I really want them to get this. Let me tell you this, this is important. If Jesus is not so prissy and not so divine that he will not step in what you're in to get you out of it. Wait, y'all, y'all didn't hear me, okay. Let me tell you this quickly. Uh, my mama told me something about my grandmama. My grandmama was a hands-on grandmother and my mother had this crib. She had this crib that sat on the ground and whenever she would put me in the crib, my mama said that I would start screaming and crying. So my grandmother one day was at the house at 2446 Bel Air Street and she would lift me out the crib and rock me and my mom got mad at my grandmama because my mom said whenever I would be set down on the floor, my grandmama would lift me out of it and my grandma said to her, stop lifting that boy out because he's spoiled. I don't want him to get spoiled. So grandmama said, fine, I'll leave him in there. She set me back in there. Mama said I started to cry. She went in the kitchen and I stopped crying. She walked back into the living room expecting to see me out of the crib and grandmama holding me. But to her surprise, grandmama had stepped into the crib and was sitting on the ground and was holding me. And my mom asked my grandma, she said, mom, why are you inside the crib? She said, you told me not to take him out. You never told me I couldn't get in with him. 
and brothers on tonight, this is the final point. The final point is that you serve a Jesus that loves you so much that he will get in what you are in just to hold you until he gets you out of it. If you need proof, go to Daniel chapter number six and holler at three black boys from the west side of Babylon by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who Jesus hopped in the fire and held them until they came out. And on tonight, my dear brothers, as I wrap this message up, the beauty about Jesus Christ is that he stepped down into the earth where sin was, wrapped his arms around you, went to a cross called Calvary, died so that you wouldn't have to die, be buried so that you wouldn't have to be buried, just to get up with you with all power in his hands. And tonight, if you're sinking in sin, I offer you the greatest deliverer, the greatest miracle worker, the greatest captain, the greatest player, the greatest star. I offer you Jesus, the Christ, the redeemer of sin, who will get you out of what you got yourself in. That's the message. That's all I got. That's all I got to give. And the Bible says, when Peter got out and they got back in the boat, the storm stopped, which meant that the storm wasn't after everybody. The storm was after Peter. And when the storm saw that Peter was connected to Jesus, the storm had to look at Jesus and say, my bad. I didn't know he belonged to you. Brothers, when they saw that, Pop, the Bible says for the first time in the gospel, they wasn't afraid because every other miracle, scripture will tell you that they were terrified, but not here in Matthew. Pop, this time, it says they worshiped him. Many other times they would say, who was this that the winds obeyed him? But on this one, big bro, they say, surely this is the son of God. Because for the first time they saw that Jesus was willing to go through a storm for Peter. And because Peter was delivered, so were they. I'll say it again. What they understood that Jesus would take time to get one man out so that everybody that was with him could be delivered as well. Ooh. I wonder if there's one that the enemy is after and because you rode with other folk up here, he's making everybody else's life a living hell because of you. It happened to Jonah and now it happened to Peter. But if one gives their life over, I wonder what would happen to everybody else that's on the boat. I wonder what happens when Jesus delivers the worst of them. I wonder if the rest of them will say, if God can change him, 
I know he can change me. I got a testimony right here. Pop, can I have that real quick, please? Is Barry here? My little brother, Barry. Is Barry in here? Barry, come here, man. Come here, come here, come here. Come here, come here. Barry is an avid cowboy fan. And we had a conversation up here. Barry said, I said, Barry, if, if I bring you, what will it take for you to be a Niner? And Barry said, I want a jersey. Well, it has to be a Debo Samuels jersey. So I brought him my jersey. And on tonight, if you allow me, I want to take this jersey and put it on you. I'm going to give you my jersey. But, Barry, in order for me to let you keep that jersey, will you give me your hat? Stay right there. No, Barry, listen, I understand, bro. I know you love that hat, but I wanted to give you something that I didn't buy for you, but that belonged to me. I want you to have it. And Barry, I know it's not your size, dog. <laughs> I realize that it's too big for you. I realize that the jersey is covering you. Because the jersey belongs to me. I'm willing to give you my jersey so that that jersey can cover you. So when people see you, they see the name of the jersey that's on you. Before they know you, they know who you belong to. And I realize that the jersey may be too big for you, but I got it for you big so that you can grow into it. And I wanted your hat for two reasons. Number one, I wanted it because I didn't like the team. But I also wanted it because that hat was dirty. And because that hat was dirty, I couldn't allow you to have my clean jersey on with a dirty hat. The premise of what I'm telling you, Barry, is this. My Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to put the jersey on you before you remove the hat. And the beauty about the Jesus that I love, the Jesus that I serve, is that the name on the back ain't your name. It's the name of a player that's already been on the team. So when people see you, they think you're on the team that he's on. That's Christianity. The beauty about Jesus is that he covers you. So whatever's underneath you, folks don't see. They see this red jersey that represents his red blood. They see these white numbers that represents how pure you are. That at one point, 
You were black as dirt, but now because of his blood, you're whiter than snow. So can I ask you, brother, are you willing to rock the jersey? If there's anybody in this room on this night that is just like Barry, you're wearing the wrong team. And that team that you're wearing is not the Cowboys, it's not the Niners. The team you're wearing is not the Raiders. That team you're wearing is called sin. And the crazy thing about sin is that you'll rock it without even knowing that it makes you look dirty. You'll rock it and the star no longer is white, now it's faded. But the longer you stay in sin, the more comfortable you are with it. Come on, man. And on tonight with my brother Barry, I don't want you to exchange your hat for another hat. I offer Jesus Christ to you so you can take the hat off and rock a jersey. And I understand what you're saying. You're saying, DJ, tonight I'm not ready because I'm so jacked up. I still watch porno. I I, I still drink, man. I still have a smoking problem. I still got a lying problem. That's why what we're about to give you tonight is going to be so big because it's going to cover your proclivities. When you leave this mountain, all that people are going to see is the jersey you're wearing. And I understand it may be too big for you, but the reason why it's big is so that you can grow in it. Brothers, on tonight, I want to know if there's any real brothers, any real men that's ready to be like Peter. Come on now, let's do this. That's willing to step out the boat and walk to Jesus, even if you're walking by yourself. And the beauty about Peter is he was scared. He was terrified. He didn't even really know if it was Jesus. He just knew that the voice that came out of his mouth sounded different than any other person that was on the boat. And tonight, y'all, it's not my voice, it's the voice of Jesus. Will you come here and leave there? Typically, we ask everybody to stand, but I want you to be bold. And if that's you, I want you to move now. Everybody else, would you bow your head? Close your eyes for the brothers that need to move. I want you to move, and I want you to move with boldness. I want you to move with confidence. I want you to move like you ain't never moved before. I want you to be big, bad, and bold tonight. I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to be timid because nobody here has a heaven or a hell to put you in. My Jesus died to give you heaven so that he can get you out of hell. And if that's you tonight, I want you to come with confidence and boldness. The band is not playing to get you here. The band is playing to soothe the spirit so the enemy and the spirit of distraction can be removed in the name of Jesus. And when you get to this place called the altar, whatever position God is telling you to get in, you get in that position. If that's on your knees, then get on them. If that's with your hands lifted, then do it. If that's standing straight up, then do it. If that's sitting down, do it. But bring every bit of you to him because he wants you just like you are. Come on, brothers. I want you to move in the name of Jesus. If you're struggling with an addiction or struggling with a proclivity, I want you to move as well. If you've been in a boat, and that boat you've been in is a boat of alcoholism, if it's a boat of adultery, if it's a boat of fornication, 
if it's a boat that you don't think you can get out of because you've been in it for so long, I want you to move. And on tonight, I want you to see Jesus Christ if you're in that boat. The beauty about my Jesus is that he doesn't need boats because he can walk on water. And by moving at his word, you can too. Hallelujah. If that's you, I want you to come. Don't worry about people, man. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. If the boat that they're in is sinking, you got to get out. You got to get out. You got to get out. If that's you, I want you to come. However you want to come, I want you to come. Now, for all you that are sitting, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to grab hands with another brother that's either to your left or to your right or behind you. And I want you to go in with them and start praying as we pray for these at the altar. Come on, Pop. You want to help me, Pop? I want you to pray for that brother's hand that you are holding. And if you don't want to hold his hand, wrap your arm around him. And as you're wrapping your arm around him, I want you to bring them in close. They're a man. You can be a man tonight. And if there's a tear that needs to come out your eye, you can allow that tear to come out because your child couldn't be born and delivered until your wife's water had to break first. And tonight, true deliverance only happens when the water breaks. So if a tear needs to come, bro, let it come. Let it flow. And if you have to scream and surrender, then do so. But don't go back down off this mountain the same way you came up. Walk down off this mountain, not Simon, but walk down Peter. And know that the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus Christ is evident over your life because he loves you. If you're still out there and you want to come to this altar, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Come to the altar. He wants you just like you are. Step out that boat and come to where he is. Now, brothers, on the, on the count of three, I just want you to start praying. Whatever that prayer sounds like, if it's quiet, go for it. But if you're loud at a Niner or a Raider or a Laker game, you better be loud at this game called life. Never let a sports hero outdo your Christ hero. And if you can yell and scream for them, you can yell and scream for these at the altar that needs deliverance. Don't you dare think that they're less than you because all of us have been at this position. Am I right, brothers? Don't you dare look down on any brother that is struggling because some of us are struggling. We just don't want nobody to know why. Am I right, brothers? Don't you dare look down at an ex-con or someone that was incarcerated because the difference between you and them is they got caught by the law and you did not. But here at this altar, mercy is made available. Grace is made available. His amazing grace still exists. And as we pray, my brother's going to sing. And I pray that his words from this song that God has given soothes your heart so that you can receive deliverance. And when he finishes singing, we will pray. And we will offer the plan of salvation. And they will walk out of here stronger and better.